today we have um, a reading from Genesis 37, 1 through 11. Uh, so let's get started. Jacob lived in the land of Canaan where his father was an immigrant. This is the account of Jacob's descendants. Joseph was 17 years old and tended the flock with his brothers. While he was helping the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, Joseph told their father unflattering things, things about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he was born when Jacob was old. Jacob had made for him a long robe. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of his brothers, they hated him and couldn't even talk nicely to him. Joseph had a dream and told it to his brothers, which made them hate him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. When we were binding stalks of grain in the field, my stalk got up and stood upright, while your stalks gathered around it and bowed down to my stalk. His brothers said to him, Will you really be our king and rule over us? So they hated him even more because of the dreams he told them. Then Joseph had another dream and described it to his brothers. I've just dreamed again, and this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he described it to his father and brothers, his father scolded him and said to him, What kind of dreams have you dreamed? Am I and your mother and your brothers supposed to come and bow down to you, to the ground in front of you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father took careful note of the matter. This is the word of the Lord. My prayer is that this would be a transformative space for you, not just today, but every time you tune in. Today we are continuing our sermon series called The Best Stories Ever, and we're looking through Joseph's life about how vision happens, how dreams occur in your life, and how to live out those dreams. So here we are in the story. Joseph's father, Jacob. Joseph's grandfather, Isaac. Joseph's great-grandfather is Abraham. And there we are in the story of Genesis. So his life is like something like a five-act play. Joseph keeps changing costumes all through this story and basically Genesis 37 and forward. He keeps changing locations. He keeps changing jobs. He goes from son to slave, from slave to prisoner, from prisoner to ruler, from ruler to patriarch. And if you look at these different parts of Joseph's life, you'll find that it's like a costume change in each stage of his life. So we've seen how God has worked through the life of Abraham. We looked at the story of Isaac, and now we're going to take a look at Joseph. And as our story unfolds, we find Joseph in Israel with his family. He's 17 years old. He's living in a town of Hebron. He's living with 11 brothers and one sister. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be that one sister with those 11 brothers. But actually, it's, it was the one brother, Joseph, who got in the most trouble in the family. So this is the story of dreams. It's the story about how vision begins in our lives. Joseph is about the story about how visions develop. Joseph's life is a how, uh, the story of how visions are realized. And Joseph's, li Joseph's life is the story of how you can live out God's vision in your life. So let's get to it. Let's talk about some dreams. Here's some lessons for us. And the first thing that I want us to realize when it comes to vision, when it comes to goals, and when it comes to dreams is first, all of these visions, 
are, are received. Let me repeat that. Visions are received. And through people, through situations, through the Bible, through your experiences, and through God, I believe that everyone can receive a clear vision for certain times of their life. Not, only, not always, but we all have the potential of God-given vision in our life. Visions are not forced. They're not made up. Visions, goals, and dreams are received by God. And if you start to read Joseph's life, you'll find out that he's a very different person than his father Jacob. In Genesis 37 2, Joseph, the young man of 17, he's tending this flock. He brings, this, brings to his father a bad report about his brothers. And this is what it says Genesis 37 2. This is the account of Jacob's descendants. Joseph was 17 years old, and he tended the flock with his brothers. While he was helping his sons of Bilah and Zilpah, his father's wives, Joseph told their father unflattering things about them. So if you, re if you read the story of Jacob, we all relate because Jacob's a schemer, and we can always, and we can, all of us can be schemers. But when it comes to the story of Joseph, many of us are inspired because that's who I want to be like. I want to be like Joseph. He has this dream. He lives out this dream. He carries out the dream even through adversity, and he rises to the top. And that's the story of Joseph, and that's who I want to be like. So he has this dream in verse 5, and he told, he told his brothers, and they hated him. Why? Well, listen to the dream and you'll find out. In Genesis 37, 3, all the way to verse 10, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was born when Jacob was old. Jacob had made him a long robe. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of his brothers, they hated him and couldn't even talk nicely to him. So Joseph had a dream and told it to his brothers, which made them hate him even more. He said to them, and, and you would probably hate your brother for this too, listen to this dream I had. When we, when we were binding stalks of grain in the field, my stalk stood up and stood upright, while your stalks gathered around it and bowed down to my stalks. Well, that sounds arrogant. So his brothers said to him, will you really be our king and rule over us? Are you kidding me? So they hated him even more because of the dreams that he told them. Then Joseph had another dream and described it to his brothers. I've just had this dream again. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. So in verse 10, when he described it to his father and brothers, his father scolded him and said to him, what kind of dreams have you dreamed? Am I and your mother and your brothers supposed to come and bow down to the ground in front of you? So there's some immediate reactions that we see in this story that are really interesting. First of all, Joseph has the immediate reaction in verse 5. He has the dream, and the first thing he does is share the dream. That's the reaction. That's what many of us do with the vision that we have or the goals that we're given or that we receive or the, the dreams that we have. As soon as we get a God-given dream, we want to share it. We want to spill it out there for everyone and anyone to hear it, especially with somebody 
who has dreams like Joseph's, about Joseph's brothers, right? I mean, think about that dream. I'm going to rule over you. I got to tell you this. You, I can't wait to tell you that I'm going to be your boss. Well, do you think that it was a good idea for Joseph to share this dream with his brothers? Not a good idea. But we often make that mistake. We share the dreams with the wrong people at the wrong time in the wrong situations, even when they're God-given dreams. We're so excited about it, or we just want somebody to know. We want to tell somebody what's going on in our life. So we share the dream with the wrong people. Our visions fall on basically the flat spirit, right? And suddenly, immediately, people try to quench the dream in our life. We come up with visions, people try to squash it. And so it's, if it's a God-given dream, it's going to last. We can share the dream in time. We can hold it close, especially to those from those who will speak out against you right away. I think that it's important to hold our dreams close and let them steep inside of us. Let those dreams inside of us steep to the point that we own the dream. Because some people, some people have great dreams, they're like giant soap bubbles that float through the sky. But there are other people who are like giant thorn bushes that are ready to pop every soap bubble dream that we can have in our life. Our dreams float down and they just squash them. It's like their job to squash our dreams in our lives. So Joseph shared the dream. That was his reaction. But Jacob is a little bit different. Jacob rebuked the dream. Jacob, a, a man who had dreams himself, hears about his dreams his son Joseph has and asks, what are you talking about? Are you kidding me? He couldn't see in his own child's life the very thing that God had done in his life. And that's easy for us parents to do. It's easy for us to miss the point that God is doing in our children's lives the very thing that God had, has done in our life, and we miss it. God has done a great work in my life, and in my children, God will do a great work in their life as well. And it, and it could be and probably will be completely different than the work that he did in my life. But Jacob didn't like totally naysay. It does say that he kept the matter in mind. So that basically meant that he thought about it. So the third reaction is the brothers. Je Joseph shared the dream. Jacob rebuked the dream. And the brothers, they hated the dreamer. They didn't care about the dream. They just went straight for the throat of Joseph. They hated him. So Joseph receives this dream. And then the dream ultimately is tested through the, the series of events that his, their, his brothers carried out. So if it's God-given, Satan doesn't want it to happen. It's going to change the world. If it's God-given, it's going to change the world, and it's going to go through a huge test. Not only is the world going to test it, God's going to test it as well. He wants it to be strengthened and refined in us. So from both sides of the fence, we're going to get tested on our dreams. And dreams and vision and goals will always be tested in our life. And this is the first test. This is called the test of denial. Everyone will face the test of denial. That's not God's dream for your life. What are you talking about? Where did you come up with that? That's the test of denial. Someone will just say, well, that's not true. Come on. Well, why do people deny your dreams? 
Well, first of all, they don't have any dreams themselves. They're like the people who don't think about the future or think about goals or vision or purpose or, or dreams. They just don't have dreams, and dreams might even frighten them. But the second reason is people don't want God-given dreams sometimes. They don't want it. They don't want to think about the future or, or vision for their life or purpose for their life. Why? Because they've been hurt. <clears throat> We've been destroyed or disappointed in our life emotionally, and it's a natural response to others when somebody says, I've been given this vision for my life. Can I share it with you? It immediately like, triggers us in this hurt of uh, my life is disappointed a, a disappointment, so I don't want dreams in my life, and therefore you shouldn't have them either. So then you have the test of doubt. I don't know if this is really God-given, a God-given dream or if God really wants this. I don't know if I want this. And you can see the reactions of the brothers and the father and the family and different expressions of doubt over Joseph's life, from hatred to questions to rebuke, we're going to face doubt, whether it be in ourselves or in other people, speaking in the God-given dreams in our life and God-given vision and purpose in our life, people and, and uh, we and others will doubt our dreams. But we can't, we can't let it go to this, this third test. And many times our, our dreams go to the test of destruction. People try to just tear us down sometimes. And that's the nature of human nature. It's caused by jealousy. You have vision, you have dreams, you have purpose, you have goals. You're like, you're like a mover and shaker. You actually have direction for your life. And there's people in our life that do not want us to be successful because of jealousy and resentment and anger about their own stuff, their own lives. They will literally sabotage dreams that God has given us. There's people who don't want you to have joy. There's people that don't want you to be happy, and they will literally tear down every good thing in your life because of their own pain or their own hurt. And it's, it's literally an emotional poverty cycle. And so Joseph's brothers look at him and go, nope, we're going to destroy this dream. So he's sold into slavery. And remember, he's had this dream. He's going to rise up above his brothers. He's going to rise up above his family. He was going to be a great ruler. He had a great dream. So since you had a great dream, we're going to get rid of you. Well, there's some answers that I want to give you when it comes to these tests. So when I face the test of denial, the answer is commitment. When somebody denies the dream that God has placed in my heart, it's an opportunity for me to express a new and fresh commitment to God and to that dream. And when I face the test of doubt, the answer is scripture, the answer is God's word. But it's also the community of people around us to help us refine and define in the midst of doubt. Is this real? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? It's time to look to the plurality of people and God's word that has been placed in my life. So what happens when the dream turns into a vendetta? Well, that's the time to get new friends. It's time to remove yourself from unsafe people and situations, not just to get yourself around a bunch of people that will co-sign your garbage, right? That's not what I'm saying here. But if people are unsafe and you find them just tearing you down every day, we need to, we need to get in situations that are better for us emotionally, better for us mentally, that when we're, giving, get, when we're given God-given dreams, that they're not constantly sabotaged in our life. It's called abuse and we don't need it. 
So if you have God-given dreams, you're going to go through tests, guaranteed. But yet there's a greater test than any other test that I just gave. Yes, you'll receive doubt. Yes, you'll, you'll, be, re, you know, you'll be rebuked and denied and, and you'll just wonder if it's the right way to go and is this, is this a God-given dream? And people will even try to tear you down. But here's the real test and that's the test of waiting. There's a time between where you've been given a vision, you come up with a goal, or you've dreamed a dream. You're excited about the dream, you're building towards the dream, and the dream begins to fall apart. Why? Because of waiting, waiting, waiting. Everyone and anyone that has faced waiting in their life, their dream begins to wane. It's, it's just natural for us, and we need to make decisions in the waiting, and that is patience. So anyone that's faced the decision of, or the, excuse me, the, 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 uh, the waiting of adoption or a child to be born, let's say you've been told in your life that there's no way that you're gonna have a child or that you have a low percentage chance of having a child. That's a, that's a season of anger, of doubt, of frustration. I've been there uh, with adoption. I know families that have been there with pregnancy and such, and there's this waiting that is agonizing. It tears at our souls. I remember when we were adopting both of our daughters, and we didn't know either of our daughters uh, who they were. They weren't even born yet um, at the time, and there was this waiting process. It was sometimes very, very difficult. There was a time to get our act together. There was a time to put our ducks in a row, and, and many times there was this huge void of space and that space is called waiting. And some people think that patience is created through waiting and I totally disagree with that. Patience is not created through waiting. Patience is a decision in waiting that we need to make. Waiting creates emotion and the emotion sometimes is reaction or response, but yet the decision is patience. And I learned that in Psalm 37. It says in Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath and do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. So this whole idea of Genesis, it's the test of patience. It's, it's the waiting. It's the waiting where godliness is fleshed out. And so waiting produces the opportunity of the expression. It doesn't necessarily create godliness because we can react in waiting as well. But waiting produces the opportunity of the expression of godliness. So Joseph moved from Israel on a quick journey right into slavery with slave traders down to Egypt where he's put into Potiphar's home. Every move he makes is like a downward spiral. Every move he makes is like another season of years of waiting. So what do you do in those times of life? In the waiting, do you learn and decide for patience? Do you learn and decide for love and response with growth? Or do we react emotionally? And do we express that reaction 
all over everyone, actually negating our integrity of the dream in the first place. It negates our integrity of the vision when we don't express patience. When we express expulsive reaction in the waiting of a dream, people look at us and then we're tested with more doubt. We're tested with more literally rebuke over the dream when we, when we don't decide in patience. So even on the way down, even when it doesn't seem like it's, it's going to happen and the dream is real and the vision is actually going to be played out, we begin to, we need to begin to live out the dream even in the spiral down. Oftentimes we just want to give up. We don't feel like we're going the wrong direction. It's destroyed and the dream starts to fade. But Joseph didn't do that in this story. God had given him into his life a dream to be a leader and he's sold into slavery. How is he going to be a leader in the midst of slavery? And he's in the household of this person by the name of Potiphar. And before long, what does he become in that household? He becomes a leader. Even amongst an awful situation, he begins to rise. So we spend a lot of time in our life, metaphorically in Egypt, don't we? Places, we? places we'd rather not be. Doing things that we would rather not do. And some of us are there right now. Our job is in Egypt. Our friends, relationships are in Egypt. Our family is in Egypt right now. You're in this place that you don't want to be. You don't want to be living in that spot. It's like a downward spiral. But Joseph teaches us that even in those places, we are to be faithful. That's, the, that's where God actually builds the dream. He might give us a vision. He might give us some goals. He might even give us a dream. But the dream is built in the waiting, even when there's a huge void. He tells us to be faithful and that's where the dreams are built. That's where God does something very powerful and very profound. And at the end of the story, we see in Joseph's life what is profound. Joseph, in, like in, the, in Genesis 45, it says, Joseph is a leader and there is this famine and his brothers and his father come to him and search for food. And Joseph finally, in those moments, I mean, I mean, talk about humiliation, right? Joseph is, is standing there before his family and his brothers and his father come to him in search for food and sustenance. They don't recognize Joseph at first. Joseph gives them food and, and literally money. He gives them food and money for them to survive. And finally, Joseph in this story reveals to his family after they've sold him into slavery, after they wished him dead, tried to kill his dream, they sabotaged and terrorized his dream, Joseph finally reveals his identity and this is how Joseph responds. His brothers wept too, fell down in front of him and said, we're here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I God? You planned something bad for me, but God produced something good from it in order to save the lives of many, many people just as he's doing today. Now don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children as well. And in profound heartache, in literally an immense amount of family dysfunction, 
an immense, immense amount of turmoil, fear, and the potential of death, we see this renewed sense of hope that through a series of dreams, ultimately all of the tests, including the huge void of waiting, the ultimate dream is realized, and that is forgiveness. Joseph forgave his brothers, and that's what makes this story the best story ever. I want to take communion just in that light. Jesus says, this is my body given to you, and this is my blood given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. I know you've been walking through the Egypt, metaphorically. I know that you think that you're on dry ground and even in famine, but I'm going to take care of you, God says, for eternity. I will give you the living water, the bread of life. I will give you ultimate forgiveness. And we say, thanks be to God. So let's take the bread, dip it in the juice. And we say amen. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the story of dreams and vision. Lord, that you can give us these, this purpose and this future for our life. Lord, help us as we wait for your call. Wait for your dream. Lord, wait for your direction. Lord, that we can flesh out godliness in our life. Lord, that we can learn patience and, and make the decision of, of godly patience in our life, even in the void of waiting. Lord, ultimately, we know that this story is about forgiveness. Thank you for forgiving us. Lord, as we walk through this life this week, I just pray that we can be reminded of this story, that no matter what happens to us, Lord, that we can offer forgiveness to those that have harmed us or done wrong to us, that we can reach out and love in such a way. Lord, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.